So uh, as Matt mentioned at the beginning of the service, um, really by accident, uh, the sermon tonight is on repentance unto life, and the sermon this morning was on repentance unto life. Uh, we, we concluded that you guys really need to hear about repentance. But actually, it was because um, we have a sermon series in Matthew, and we have a sermon series in 2 Corinthians, and they just converted the, the streams crossed uh, today, so... Take it how you will, um, but actually, I have to say, for me, it's good to hear these things. Uh, some of these things really bear repeating, <clears throat> and uh, one way maybe to put it is that the theme of repentance is so, f- you know, throughout the Bible that it's not unlikely that if you pick two random passages, probably there's a good chance that two of them will both deal with repentance, uh, and so um, we come this evening uh, to Second Corinthians chapter 7. It's printed in your bulletin. Uh, and I'm going to read this. Uh, we have a response, which is printed in your bulletin there, uh, <clears throat> and then we'll talk about it. So here are God's word from the Apostle Paul, uh, from the second letter to the Corinthians uh, in chapter 7. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, <clears throat> not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God, therefore we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because the Spirit has been refreshed by you all. This is the word of the Lord. So... um, as Matt mentioned at the beginning, the, the sort of an old phrase from the Westminster Confession, repentance unto life, uh, which is another way of saying repentance that leads to life. And um, that really comes right out of this passage. So it's a, um, a confessional kind of phrase. And actually, before I forget, I didn't put a sermon outline in the bulletin, but on page nine, I put a section of the Westminster Confession. We're not going to read that uh, together later. It's just for your information. Uh, but really, Almost everything I have to say tonight is based on that section of the confession which is uh, printed there, and the title of it from the 1600s is Repentance Unto Life or Repentance Leading to Life, and that comes right out of this passage from the Bible that we have in front of us where uh, Paul talks about repentance that leads to salvation, whereas worldly grief uh, leads to death. So the context of this, uh, some of you have been with us as we went through 1 Corinthians uh, over the past year uh, and now in 2 Corinthians, if you look at these letters to the Corinthians, um, there's some of the sternest letters that Paul writes in the New Testament. There's a lot of just outright rebuke uh, where he says, you're just doing it wrong. So he's not saying they're not Christians. He's saying, you're my brothers and sisters in Christ. But at the same time, there's some pretty serious rebukes. And so here, uh, Paul is referring to things that he had written earlier uh, that were really strong rebukes and led them really to some, uh, some pretty heartfelt grief. 
uh, and uh, as he says, uh, grief that was a godly type of grief that led to repentance. Uh, and so, um, really just going to unpack this idea of repentance uh, and what it means. There's really a, a lot of different ideas <coughs> that we have about this. So, uh, let me just sort of make some, some definitions here. So, first of all, he talks about godly grief uh, that leads to repentance, sorry, that leads to salvation. In other parts of Scripture, I put some of these in the additional Scriptures, instead of saying that leads to salvation, the phrase is used that leads to life, uh, which uh, is also in the confession that we uh, just mentioned. Um, one way to talk about repentance uh, that leads to life is repentance that actually leads to change, that actually leads to change behavior. Uh, by contrast, worldly grief is, you might say, feeling bad, uh, feeling really awful about something, uh, but not actually changing, just feeling bad about it. Uh, and so there might be grief at getting caught, uh, or there might be uh, grief about having bad feelings, uh, but it doesn't actually lead to change. Uh, whereas uh, godly repentance is uh, a change that actually leads to, to uh, sorry, is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. Uh, so we're talking about actually doing things differently based on what we believe. Uh, so this right away brings up maybe a question in some of your minds. Uh, if you've hung around evangelical churches a lot, uh, you'll often hear the formula that we're saved through faith, right? That uh, we are not saved by works, we are saved through faith, uh, and uh, it is not by works that we are saved, but rather through faith. And yet here we have Paul using the word salvation uh, in terms of repentance. And I just said repentance leads to actual actions. So are those works? Are, are deeds of repentance uh, somehow acts like good works? And so have we got sort of salvation by works back in through the back door again? Uh, well, um, I think probably the best image of this uh, is one that I saw many years ago uh, from a, a a preacher when I was just really first coming to faith. Uh, and it's a very simple picture to say, uh, if I think about walking, right, and I'm walking toward this goal, and then I say, well, I want to change goals. I no longer pursue this. I want to pursue that, right? So what do I have to do to pursue that, right? So I'm going to now say, I'm not going to put my faith in this God. I'm going to put my faith in this God. So I walk this way, right? And I say, oh, I'm going to change, so I turn, and I now have faith in someone else, right? So actually, what I just did was two things, right? So I was going one way. I now have faith in something new, so I'm walking toward God, but I also turn my back on the other things, right? So repentance uh, in the Greek literally means a change of mind or a new mind. Uh, it's turning your back on something and going toward something else, and so scripture always talks about repentance and faith in one breath. You really can't have one without the other. Another way to put it is to say, if you really believe that this is the best course of action, it can't but lead you to turn your back on the things that go against that, right? If, you, if it's actually in your mind to believe that God's way is the best way, uh, beliefs that we actually believe have consequences, uh, so if you say, well, um, you know, I, I no longer want to work for this employer, I'm going to go work for this employer, well, that 
entails that I stop working for that employer, right? Uh, that there is an action that comes about uh, based on my belief. Uh, so repentance, I would say, involves hard work, but it is not a religious work. It's really a whole mindset that says, I want my faith to trickle down into what I actually do, into, in terms of how I think about things, about how I uh, make actions. Uh, now, I want to contrast it with two other words that uh, we often use in society that are maybe related but are not the same thing. <clears throat> so one of them is the idea of penance. So penance might be to say, uh, I did a sin and I'm going to do some actions to pay for it, right? So um, maybe uh, I um, wrecked the fence of this person with my car. Uh, now, actually, I, I, I'm not using the right analogy. If I wrecked the fence of the person, I might pay that person back, okay, and that would actually be recompense, all right, that's another word, but penance might be that I say, well, as a result of that, I'm going to uh, pray five times a day for the next five days, just to sort of pay for that sin, okay? Now, scripturally, the Bible tells us in the New Testament that Jesus paid for our sins, so there is no way in which we do penance to pay for our sin. Our, our sins are paid for. Um, now, the other word that sometimes is related is the word remorse, right? So remorse is feeling bad uh, about something uh, that you've done. And you see in the passage that we have in front of us <clears throat> a lot of remorse, right? So Paul says, you had godly grief. So remorse is a feeling. Uh, it is something where you feel bad about doing something that was wrong. But Paul says there's actually more than one type of remorse. Uh, so you might have what he calls a worldly remorse or a worldly grief where you just feel really bad but nothing actually changes. Uh, and on the other hand, there is a godly remorse that actually leads to a change of behavior and a change of action. Um, so I want to make a statement that may uh, sound a little strange to you at first, uh, but as much as Paul talks about here about uh, godly grief being a good thing. And I put in the front uh, uh, of the bulletin, by the way, a quote that refers to Martin Luther's statement that all of life is repentance. Uh, as much as the Bible talks about repentance uh, and remorse and godly grief and so on, uh, I would argue God's goal is not for you to feel bad. Right? God's goal is not for you to feel bad all the time. Uh, his goal is actually for you to change. His goal is actually for you to, to think differently and to do things differently. Uh, now, it might be that God uses bad feelings and remorse as a way of disciplining you to bring you around to actually doing things differently, but that isn't the ultimate goal. So maybe for some of you who are here, you might think that the norm of the Christian life is that we're just supposed to feel bad all the time. Um, that isn't necessarily the case. We should be quick to repent, and if we're quick to repent, then we don't necessarily feel bad all the time. On the other hand, if we're slow to repent, then it might be appropriate that God turns up the, you know, turns up the dial of our bad feelings and makes us feel bad to bring about uh, repentance. So to kind of illustrate this, I have a example from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I realize that um, this 
is now with credit card economy almost maybe dated and uh, hard to uh, explain for some people. Um, so the example is suppose you're at a shop <clears throat> and you're paying with cash. Does anybody still do that? No? All right. Well, you have to kind of visualize this, all right? So in the old days, people would pay with cash and then the cashier would open a drawer and they would count out some money, which was your change, which was like you gave them 20, uh, and, and then the bill was only $16, they give you $4 back, and that's called change, right? Um, most of you are old enough to remember those days. Um, so you get this change back, and actually there was a couple different things that could happen in that exchange. One would be that you would be shortchanged which would mean you were owed four, but the cashier only gave you three back. And if that happened and you noticed it, you'd be very quick to be like, ah, wait a minute, you didn't give me enough change back, and you'd point it out, and the cashier would say, oh, you're right, and give you the right change. The other possibility was that the cashier gave you too much change, uh, and the cashier gave you an extra dollar or two back, uh, and then the typical person is faced with a conundrum. Do I say anything, uh, or do I not say anything? So, the way this would work is at the end of the day, the cashier would have to tally up all the, the payments, and if it was short, the cashier would have to pay out of their own pocket to, to even up the till, right? So if you don't say anything, you're basically stealing from that cashier. Uh, so on the other hand, if you leave, the cashier is probably not going to know who they gave the extra money to, and so there's almost zero chance of you getting caught. Right, if you do that. And so you're faced with a situation of sort of an apparently consequence-free uh, crime, so to speak. Uh, so Bonhoeffer talked about uh, sort of different responses that you can imagine to this. Okay, so uh, a little bit like the story this morning in the parable. Okay, so response one is uh, you keep the money and you go home, but you feel really bad about it. Okay, now that is remorse without repentance, right? That is remorse that does not lead to godly change. Uh, and so you can feel bad about it all you want, but you haven't actually repented, right? Uh, to repent, it would be to actually give the money back. Okay, so that's response one. Uh, response two is as you're walking out and counting your change, you realize you got too much, and you feel really bad, and you struggle, and you're really struggling, and you say, ah, okay, I'll do the right thing. And you turn about, and you go and give back the uh, extra change, right? That's better, right? That's like the other son in the story this morning, right? Uh, your heart initially is saying, let's not do it, and then you say, ah, I'll do the right thing, and you go about doing it. The third option is that it doesn't occur to you to keep the extra change. You're like, oh, they gave me an extra dollar, here it is, right? And there's not actually a struggle, right? Because you're just attuned to wanting to do the right thing, right? That's where God wants you to be, right? So that may not be where you're at, but that's the goal is not that you're in state two where you're twisting in anguish all the time and then finally doing the right thing. The goal is that you actually get to state three where you say, my mind is so renewed that it literally might not even occur to me to rip somebody off like that. And you just do what you're supposed to do without a lot of being torn up uh, inside. So the goal is not that you feel bad all the time. The goal is actually that you do what is right. And I think every parent who's raised kids can kind of relate to this as well. When you rebuke your children or punish them, your goal is not, I want my children to feel bad all the time. Your goal is, I want you to grow up, right? I want you to actually do stuff different and to be mature. 
And so I hope you get to a state where you're not constantly being rebuked by me or feeling bad, but you just do what's right, all right? And that is God's goal uh, for us as well. Um, So um, that is essentially just one long definition of what uh, repentance is. It's actually changing uh, to do what is right. Now, essentially the next thing I'm just gonna add is uh, it's really hard, right? And um, it's not uh, so easy. Um, and this is where I mentioned this quote of Martin Luther that's on your front page that says, you know, all of life is repentance. And Jesus used the uh, words uh, that we are called to take up our cross daily. Uh, and a cross was an instrument of death. And so Jesus is essentially saying there is a type of death that you die daily. And so as much as I said the goal is not to feel miserable, in practice, any kind of change is really, really hard. Uh, and I'm, I would say actually that the longer I go as a Christian, I would say whenever I see anybody repenting of any sin, I view it as just a miracle. Because the normal default of all people is to never change anything. Uh, and you know, if, uh, if I was to talk to somebody at work uh, who is not a Christian and say, well, you know what, um, I think you need to change this aspect of, of how you treat people. I could ex- assume I'm gonna have a blow up, right? This person will never speak to me again or there'll be some huge political thing or whatever. They'll be deeply offended. That's the typical response of people in the world. And even when people do change, it's never presented as repentance. It's sort of like, well, we're just kind of sliding slightly in a different direction and so on. So. Uh, I would say that apart from the Holy Spirit, true repentance is really impossible. And even for Christians who have the Holy Spirit, it's really, really hard. It's not something that we uh, rejoice at or something that we uh, we naturally uh, uh, do. And uh, some of you may have had experience of just saying, all right, tomorrow I'm no longer going to do this. And then lo and behold, you know, maybe a few days go by and you're right back in the same patterns. Uh, And uh, I would say one of the things that's um, scriptural is to really think about repentance, again, is the flip side of faith. It's not just white-knuckling saying I'm going to do things differently, but it's actually a change of mind. And that's why in the Greek, it literally is metanoia. It is a new thinking, a new way of thinking. Uh, The only hope we have to actually change is to actually change our thinking to a completely different set of priorities, to say that those things that attracted me, why do they attract me so much? Uh, why do I feel I need to do this when I know it's wrong? <clears throat> and so, in general, um, you know, repentance is not just, it involves actions, it involves actual changes, but it starts with the position of faith. It starts with the position of saying, well, gee, you know, if God made the whole universe, maybe he knows, like, how one should actually live in it. Uh, and so I actually have faith that he knows what he's talking about. So therefore, if what he says is true and correct, maybe my thinking is wrong, where am I going wrong? And so you start to say, well, why is this so important to me that it would actually spit in the face of God to do it? You know, like, why, why is that so important? And you start to rethink your minds. Or, you know, Am I so afraid of what people think that I would rather do what they do than what God thinks? You know, uh, you know, why am I thinking that? That's hard. 
in general, thinking about our motives is hard because we often just have automatic patterns. We just do stuff without thinking about it. And putting that on the block and looking at it uh, is really, really hard. Uh, and uh, I will uh, uh, also just add then that one of the ways, one of the things that God has given to us uh, to make it uh, easier is God's community, uh, is God's people. And so in general, we as the people of God are called to uh, rebuke, correct, exhort, and talk to each other and to confess our sins uh, to each other. And so if you look at you know, this letter here, you know, that's exactly what's going on here, right? This is an interactive thing. They weren't, they were on a wrong path, uh, and they got rebuked. Uh, and uh, Paul, you know, gives them a pretty strong word, strongly worded letter. Uh, he rebukes them, and then they do the right thing. They change, uh, they listen to him, and so on. But the fact is that often we need that outside voice, we need somebody from outside to be talking to us uh, and to be exhorting us. Um, and so um, I just want to finish up really with just a couple points of what this looks like uh, in community. Um, one of the things that just sort of immediately comes from that, if I think about a heart of repentance, it doesn't mean, uh, well, it'd be wonderful if it was, but it probably doesn't mean that you repent and then you just never do any more sin, right? Uh, technically, that's possible, but the average Christian, the 99.99% of Christians, you will sin again. Um, and um, actually, you think about it, you know, sometimes people say, well, um, I have to, you know, not repent of all my sins because if I did, then I would be like this uh, purist type person. Uh, and it'd be acting like I had no sin. Well, believe me, if you repent of all your sins, you don't have to worry about being sinless because there's other sins you haven't thought of yet. Uh, there's new things that will come to mind. And also, uh, we have a habit and a pattern of unrepenting, right? We repent of sins, and then we find ourselves doing them again, and we repent again. And this is where Martin Luther, again, came to this idea of all of life is repentance, so I just want to leave you with a few thoughts about sort of what that mindset of repentance looks like. And the very first one is simply uh, having a mindset that I can actually accept other Christians rebuking me or telling me that I'm doing something wrong. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, it's easy for us to say, well, of course, if they tell me I'm doing something wrong that I agree with, I'm not going to get defensive. But the reason why I get defensive is because they're wrong, right? And the things that I'm doing are actually right, and so they're judging me wrongly, and that's why I'm mad, not just because they're telling me something that's correct. Uh, well, the problem is that at the time, everything you do always seems correct, right? So almost always when somebody else rebukes you, your first thought is going to be, oh, they're just wrong. Uh, I really am doing the right thing. I mean, mostly. Uh, and so it's easy for us to be defensive, to rise up uh, against that. And a mindset of repentance actually says, uh, I am willing to hear that from my brothers, just like this church uh, heard from Paul, uh, even when they're wrong. Because it's probably the case that I'm a sinner in multiple ways, and even if they're wrong about this one, I probably still need to hear things from my brothers and sisters about where I'm wrong. 
uh, and uh, listen and learn from them. And so, um, at a very, very basic level, I would say, if you find yourself routinely getting defensive, that's the first thing you need to repent of, is that you need to say, I need to have a soft heart toward being corrected by my brothers and sisters in the church. Uh, because we, we, we grow as we listen uh, and hear from each other. Um, a second, uh, so that's sort of just the point one of application. Uh, the point two of application is um, a heart of repentance doesn't give yourself a pass uh, on small sins. Uh, and I've actually preached on this probably about a year ago. Uh, it's a really common mentality for us to say, well, um, it doesn't count if it's of a certain type, right? Like only the big sins I need to repent of and the certain little sins uh, that I just sort of give myself a free pass on. Uh, there's nothing in scripture that would <laughs> warrant that. Uh, in fact, you are called to repent of all of your sins and I believe that's in the, um, uh, in the confession uh, section I read you there. I love this, <clears throat> uh, section five it says, People ought not to content themselves with a general repentance, in other words, just sort of having attitude of repentance, but it's each one's duty to work hard to repent of his particular sins particularly, right? That sounds so 1600s, doesn't it? Um, what it means is you're, actually, you're not just supposed to say, well, sort of generically, I feel bad about my sins, but it's to say, no, you actually think about your actions, and on a daily basis, you say, do I need a course correction? Do I need to change? Uh, what do I need to do to keep myself out of temptation? And you're particularizing, you're saying like, here are actual things that I need to do. And uh, it may sound overwhelming to say, for me to say, you need to repent of all your sins. Don't give yourself a pass on any sin. Uh, and yes, that's, that's the call, right? It's, it's hard. And so maybe, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say it's uncommon for Christians to have something of the attitude of, well, for the first part of my life, I worked on all these really hard sins, uh, repented of those, and then I got to a plateau, and I'm kind of done with that, and now I just sort of keep my nose clean from all the really big sins, and I give myself a pass on these small sins. Uh, that's an that's a easy attitude to fall into, because after all, it's tiring to repent daily. It's, re it's tiring to, to make uh, real changes. Uh, but we, we can't do that. We're called on a regular basis to say, what do I need to change uh, today? Uh, and as, Paul, as Luther said, all of life uh, is repentance. Uh, and I just want to say the last part, and this is something that um, as I've grown, uh, put it this way, as I've lived longer, not necessarily growing, well, at least not growing taller, um, uh, you find this can actually be depressing, right? Um, it can be the case when you're a young Christian that you say, well, this is of course the case. I need to repent uh, every day and live a life of repentance. Like that's clearly what the Bible says. Well, when you've been a Christian for 40 or 50 years and you find yourself still doing the same things, still sinning, that can be depressing, right? To say, what's going on here? You're like, haven't I learned anything? Finding myself falling back uh, into the same patterns. Uh, well, that's where the gospel comes in. Uh, as we heard in the gospel earlier, uh, our stance of repentance comes out of grace. It comes out of saying, my work that's really hard is not something I have to do to be in God's good graces, right? That I work out of a sense of rest. I work out of a sense of, I am loved by God, 
uh, and I'm resting in him. And again, I think of the analogy of the parent with the child. You know, a parent might be punishing a small child every day for something or other, uh, and the child is being taught to change. Uh, the, the, the parent's goal is not for the kid to feel bad all the time. The goal is for the child to grow in maturity. Uh, and yet also, the child is going to thrive in that situation to the degree that they understand and rest in the fact the parent is really on their side, right? They're not doing it with a parent who hates them. They're doing it with a parent who wants to see them thrive and to do what is right. Uh, and so when we come to God, our repentance is not based out of, uh, I have to do this because I'm so afraid that God will be mad at me. Uh, we come out of a position of faith of saying, you know what, I think actually God knows what he's talking about and his ways actually are the best ways, right? And I trust him, even when I don't see it, that his ways are the best ways, and that's a position of faith. And we rest in him uh, as a loving parent who says, I have something good in store for you, uh, and it's much better if you walk in this path than if you walk in that path. Uh, and so... Uh, to have any hope to repent your whole life long, it has to come from a position of rest in God's grace. Uh, because if you say, I'm doing this in my own energy, and if I mess up, God will throw me out of the kingdom, you'll fail. Uh, you won't be able to even make a start, probably. Um, so there's a lot there, uh, but uh, we're going to turn to communion now. Uh, and I don't think we have a song before that, right? So we're just going to go straight into communion at this point. Uh, yeah, let me close this in prayer and then uh, Matt will come up and lead us.